Remain standing for the gospel lesson, which is taken from Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the gospel of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word of the Lord. Maybe see. As uh, some of you know, I particularly follow the church calendar from Advent to about next Sunday. And then I depart from it and do my own thing for a while. But I like to preach these important passages that are reflected in the church calendar. I will come back to it around Easter. And so next week I'm pe preaching on the baptism of the Lord. And after that, some sermons on some practical aspects of Christian living. But today it's the story of the kings visiting Jesus. Uh, and it's a significant text. But it didn't seem so to me as a child when I saw it played out in children's programs and even in the public school. Uh, I was chosen to be a shepherd. Uh, that's where they put all the ne'er-do-wells in my class. They made them shepherds to stand around. But I begged my mother to get me a house robe, and she did, and I can remember the price of it, though if she were alive, we would argue over the price, but it was $12. And early in the morning of the day that I was to go to school to be in the program, I was standing close to the gas fire fireplace, and my robe caught on fire. And uh, I probably was fourth or fifth grade, 
And um, I started to shoot through the house and my mother chased me down, put me on the floor and put out the flame. She was burned considerably in her hands. And that's about all I remember of this story. And I probably wouldn't have a stronger memory if that incident hadn't happened. But I certainly didn't make much of it. It was just a quaint story where uh, these strange people came from somewhere and worshipped Jesus. Now, I have since learned a good deal more about these three kings, so-called, these three magi. And uh, I, I began to learn something about them when I began to preach sermons on this text. I don't save sermons. They're not, uh, I won't tell you why I don't, but I do look at it then every time and study some more on the passage. And today is, by the way, Three Kings Day, or better known as Epiphany, where the Lord Jesus appeared to the Gentiles. Now, I really didn't know that basic aspect about it growing up, that he appeared to the Gentiles. I didn't make the connection. So he appeared to the Gentiles. What, what we really have on this day that we celebrate and remember by reading a scripture text on it is that Jesus manifest himself. He appeared to the Gentile world. And of course, in so doing, he has signaled or at least this occasion signals that he has come actually for the whole world and not just to the Jewish people. Though, don't forget, he came to them first. And what we find is that these gifts tell us a great deal about how these magi understood things. And in one sense, with the last gift, they even probably signal his death even though he was a king. What is being fulfilled here is a, is a passage of scripture from the Old Testament, actually a couple of passages. Psalm 72, verse 10, if you want to look it up. But the Old Testament passage today. And I want to reiterate that Old Testament passage to you that comes from the prophet Isaiah, which I preached on last week. And there are three verses I want to read to you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The birth of Jesus and his incarnation means that light has risen upon us, implying that we are in darkness. Verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen by you. Verse three, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So there is the fulfillment of this passage in Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve. It's a significant passage then. Whenever you find this motif of promise fulfillment, it's important to take note of the Old Testament context and the New Testament. It's mentioned in the Psalms. And today I want you to see the consequences of light having risen upon our dark world and upon your dark heart. Yes, that's a pointed statement, your dark heart. 
and our dark world. So I hope by so doing, you as Christians will not be ashamed of that light. Yea, that you will rejoice and celebrate that light, a great light has come into the world. Now, there are some interesting uh, developments here. Isaiah, of course, is the basic passage that's being fulfilled. But reading those passages, it's possible to deduce some details in the Matthew passage that are not given there. To deduce some facts, if you will, and from that are not given in the Matthew passage. It was deduced, of course, very early on that since there were three gifts, there must have been three magi. Actually, in some traditions and in some folklore of the Middle Ages, there are up to eight magi. Maybe there were more representatives here than the gifts. Origin in the second century deduced that there were three Three kings. Why kings? The word magi does not in any way mean king. Uh, the word magi simply can be translated as the King James does, wise person or a kind of priest. And modern scholars today think that these were three Zoroastrian priests that were astrologers, which is the precursor of, of course, astronomy. And if you look at the gifts, they actually mean something too. But also, we can deduce from those passages that they were kings. Kings shall come. These priests were also royal persons. What can we deduce from their gifts? Well, we can deduce quite a bit of things. Gold, of course, is for a king. He was born a king. From the very beginning, Jesus was a king. But also notice the frankincense. It was used by priests to offer up incense to represent prayers. And you find it in the Bible. As the smoke from the temple went up. It was symbolic of the prayers being offered up to God's people. And from God's people, those prayers are a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. And so Jesus, in some ways, through this, receiving this gift, is being acknowledged as a priest a mediator between us and God. And he does pray for us. As you and I offer up our feeble prayers in this service and in our family devotions, in our private prayers, there is one who takes up, you might say, unbundles our prayers. And through his intercession, they are made perfect and laid at the altar, of, upon the altar of God. Think of that intercession. And then there is the gift, of course, of the myrrh, which had medicinal properties in it. It was a healing property. And this may very well speak of Jesus' humanity and the fact that he was a prophet sent from God to do good and to proclaim God's truth and to speak of God's healing power and presence. And so we may find in these three gifts the three offices that Jesus holds as mediator, prophet, priest, and king. Now, in, 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 in according to some uh, particular traditions, and they rise more from imagination and from the scripture, 
these three kings actually have names, Melchior and Caspar and Balthazar. The Chinese, in some cases, Christians believe that one of them came from China. The Arabs think that one of them came from Arabia. They probably, all three, came from Persia or present-day Iran. The star, of course, appearing. What do you make of the star? Well, I know people who've tried to figure out the patterns uh, of the sky in the ancient world, the constellations and how they were aligned and so forth. I happen to think that this probably was just a miracle in the same way that his birth was a miracle. And that we do see that the mission of Jesus is not only to the Jew, to the Gentile, for that star came from the east as well and led these eastern visitors to his uh, place where he was. Now, he probably is a little older, no longer a newborn infant. But what I want to look at is something I think is important for all of us, the consequences of Jesus being light to Jew and Gentile or to the whole world. I want to talk about those consequences. Jesus' birth had immediate consequences. As a matter of fact, it is a commentary on the human condition. The immediate consequences tell us something about how dark this world can be. What happened? Well, King Herod, who who, who actually lied between his teeth to the Magi, was threatened. Now, we know something about Herod's life from history. He was a bloody man, an insecure man, but he had some power put there by the Romans. When you have insecurity and wickedness combined with power, you have a recipe for the awfulest brutality that you can imagine. And we have seen that over and over in the history of the world, haven't we? Herod killed many people, some of his own relatives, nephews, uncles, brothers. It wasn't a big thing to kill these infants under two years of age in and around the vicinity of Bethlehem. It's been estimated that there were about 16 to 18, 20 infants that would have qualified. What an awful thing for a small town. A brutal man. That was the immediate context. But what does that signal? That signals to us the darkness in which we dwell. A great darkness, says the prophet. And we see this repeated through history, tyrants. You know, I'm I'm tempted here to talk a great deal about the wielding of political power. And when political power gets into the hands of the wrong people, we have seen the most devastating things in the earth. We've seen the most devastating things. I'm reminded that uh, of what someone said to me. You know, he says, I would rather for a dumb thief to come and steal my goods than a smart one. Now, why would that be? Well, a dumb thief is not too powerful. They might come and break into your house and steal a few things, but a smart one would get all your passcodes and your bank account numbers and wipe you out totally. Power in the hands 
of people in high places could be a very dangerous thing. They can destroy your life on this earth. Thank God they can't take your soul. And that's why the scripture says, fear him. Not who can destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. Not him who can destroy simply the body. But nonetheless, the powerful can take your liberty, your goods, and your body. We live in a dark world. And thank God that light has shined and dawned and mitigated that darkness. Now, I think this, just from a social standpoint, the coming of Jesus is a significant thing. Yes, he came to save us individually from our sins. When light dawns, it dawns on the individual. And we are told in John's gospel, the prologue, that when that light came, if we receive him, he gave us, gives us power to become the sons of God. Sometimes I've asked, Pastor, how do I receive him? You know, one of the great verses in the Bible is in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved to receive him freely and fully as your Lord and Savior. Embrace that light. But think of the social consequences of Jesus coming into the world. They have been tremendous, and I want to outline just a few of those social consequences for you today. But notice, whether it's the individual, or it's the community, or a culture, or a society, a great nation like ours, darkness seems to be the norm in the fallen world that we live in. The poet has described nature as red in tooth and claw. Nature is that way, but what about human nature? What about human nature? Indeed, when light has dawned, it is a saving light, but it saves not only you and me and those that will come to the light, but it is also in a general way a kind of light for those who don't necessarily come to the light but live in its proximity. And I want to talk about that for a moment. What a wonderful thing it was for Christianity to enter into the world. That light, in some sense, had been confined to a people. It was confined to Israel. And there was always a reluctance from Jonah on to share that light with others. You had to come and convert and become part of the culture that emanated from Jerusalem. But when Jesus came, that light is for the whole world. And it bursts out of its, its, its strictness and, and, and is being confined and breaks into a universal way to all peoples. Now, first of all, this demonstrates the love of God. There is no question in John's prologue that when he talks about light and love in that passage, that opening, that they go together. They go together. 
a great light has dawned upon us and we can see only in the scriptures and only through Christ that God really cares for us. I can't tell you how important this is. We would never have known that God cares for us unless Christ had come truly. Before he revealed himself in the history of Israel and finally and greatly and fully in his son Jesus Christ. Now you can't tell that from nature. It always sends a mixed signal. Good things happen, bad things happen. On and on and on. And you watch these nature programs as I do, and it seems as if nature is indifferent to you. Mount Etna is spewing forth right now as I speak. Great flames into the sky. Does that mean it will erupt? I don't know. But they do erupt, don't they? And they seem to be indifferent. Nature is run by laws. The lion chases down the monkey. This is nature. And if you look at human beings, you wonder, is there really any love for one person to another when we sing that, that there is a matter of greed and exploitation over and over and over again? Where are you going to go to, to discover that God loves you? Look in your own heart. Oh, my friend. It's a dark place too. And it changes. Your emotional state changes. You can love somebody one minute and 10 minutes later, you're ready to snap their head off. How fickle we are. Where are you going to discover the love of God? You can only see it in God's self-revelation of who he is. This one who was born is finally going to die for you and for me on a cross. That we might be saved and experience the love of God. But what about societies? What about societies? What are the social consequences of Jesus coming into the world? It says that the peoples will see a great light and that light continues to shine. You know, the early church did not grow as fast as many of you might have, might have thought through some, something you've read or heard preached. Early Christianity did not just, like an explosion, blow out and take place. Actually, we now know a lot about doing uh, sociological research. Christianity grew, by the way, through families. One family member telling another, one neighbor telling another. It wasn't an explosion. It was kind of like a very slow growth until it finally just mushroomed. And today Christianity has uh, by far the largest religion in the world. It's like a small rolling stone that fills the whole earth. And it's had consequences upon this globe. There is no question about it. It has the power to change societies. And when the apostles began to preach and their disciples and on and on and on, we began to see gradually that Europe, for instance, began to rise from the rubble of the fall of Rome and all of its misery. And it built something. 
And there is a correlation of those nations that receive the gospel and their future historical development and those that didn't. Let me just talk about the spread of Christianity for a moment. Christianity was first and most obviously embraced by the people around the Mediterranean basin, North Africa. And from that world, it spread on up into Europe. It also spread into India and other places. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today, that is nominal and true Christians. But about 2.2 billion Christians live under the banner of Christ and know that name. Europe has been especially favored. And its blessings are tremendous. Christianity grew and grew and grew. It's not exaggeration to say that Christianity, in a real sense, made the Western civilization. All civilizations are religious-based. And think about the benefits that have accrued to you and to me because of that. They talk about the 1%. If we take the whole globe and consider where the 1% of the, the wealthiest people live. Do you know where they live? Half of them live in the U.S. The poorest of our poor represent in many lands the middle class. You say, well, it just happened. We have more resources. Not necessarily. Maybe there are benefits for society having received the gospel, not individuals so much, but allowing that gospel to be preached. I want to read something to you from Rodney Stark. I would recommend this book, The Victory of Reason. Who is Rodney Stark? He's a sociologist. He, he used to be very hostile to Christianity. He now is not hostile at all. He's begun to see that it makes all the difference. He is not a believer, but I think he's close to the kingdom of God. I want to read to you what he wrote in his opening and his book, The Victory of Reason, the Logos, and what it means for society. Now remember, the question is, are there subsidiary benefits to societies that have opened themselves up to the gospel? He says, quote, When Europeans first began to explore the globe, their greatest surprise was not the existence of the Western Hemisphere, but the extent of their own technological superiority over the rest of the world. Think of Perry sailing into the harbors there in Japan in the last century, the two centuries ago, middle of the 19th century. Not only were the proud Mayans and Aztecs and the Incan nations helpless in the face of European intruders, yes, some of them were conquerors, 
Some of their activities were shameful, but notice they were the product of a civilization and society. They were helpless in the face of European intruders. So were the fabled civilizations of the East, China and India, and even Islam were backward by comparison with 16th century Europe. How had this happened, he says? Why was it that although many civilizations had pursued alchemy, it led to chemistry only in Europe? Why was it that for centuries Europeans were the only ones possessed of eyeglasses, chimneys, yes, chimneys, reliable clocks, heavy cavalry, or a system of musical notations? How had nations that had arisen from barbarism and the rubble of fallen Rome so greatly surpassed the rest of the world? It wasn't accidental. It wasn't because they had more water or more uh, ore under the ground. It wasn't because they were smarter. It was because of the byproduct of embracing the gospel. Now I want you to think what's happening today. We in the West really are beginning to snuff out that light. We're trying as hard as we can. Some of our elites are trying as hard as they can through the rubric of multiculturalism or diversity to to mitigate or undermine Christian influence. There is no question. All you have to do is sit in a college classroom. There's almost a visceral hatred for anything Christian. It's the only religion in some ways that's truly mocked in many quarters. You wouldn't dare mock Islam. You wouldn't dare mock Buddhism. You wouldn't dare mock Hinduism. But every tin horn comedian at night takes great delight in it. And the truth is, as the Pew survey shows, Christianity is receding in the West, particularly in Europe. You know, we don't have the kind of conversions in our country. You know that Christianity has not grown really in numbers in this country for many decades because there's not the conversions that there once were. But go to India, where whole villages convert. And we don't know what's taking place in China. There's an estimate of anywhere from 60 million to 150 million Chinese Christians. We have no idea. It may be 200 million. We've seen countries in Africa go from 300,000 to 3 million Christians in a certain region. They're embracing it. Is their time, has their time come? I think so. What are we doing? Pushed it out of school, pushed it out of the public square. On and on and on. There are consequences to smothering the light. Oh yes, this is a wonderful text. This is a wonderful text. And if we were to paint this picture, we have become the Herod in many places on the earth other than the West have become 
the wise man. I want you to be proud of Christianity in this coming year and extol its benefits. We not only can see a poor sinner, miserable sinner saved from his sins and the peace of God ruling in his heart, we can also see societies uplifted. Praise be to God that these men came from the east to behold a great light. Arise! A great light has dawned upon you. Wonderful text, isn't it? Quite insightful, isn't it? To see and to read this in the modern world and think about it. When Admiral Perry went into those, that harbor in Japan, Japan immediately started changing its society just simply for security's sake. And in the 19th century, China began to do the same thing at the end of it, mimicking the Japanese for security's sake. Everything is involved in rejecting light, even your security. For you stumble and fumble around. It's a hit, lick, and a miss. But when that light shines brightly into your heart, you begin to understand and see things in a new way. And I'll tell you, he is a light to the nations as well. Praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen.